Hello and welcome to Aptivate, a show for mobile marketers by mobile marketers. I'm Johannes Haut, Senior Data Scientist at Remerge. You probably noticed by now that I'm not Tommy, your regular host. We're mixing it up on Aptivate to bring you a wider range of mobile marketing topics with different voices and perspectives. When you hear my voice, I'll be diving deep into more technical marketing topics related to data science. On today's show, I'll be talking to Yuan Meng, who is a Senior Data Scientist at Delivery Hero. And we're going to talk all about measuring the incremental effect of marketing when we can't do A-B tests. It's a huge topic now, especially with the upcoming privacy changes in iOS 14. So, hi, you. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. I do know you have a master's degree in statistics. So I'm pretty curious on how you went into marketing. Okay. So, let me briefly introduce myself first. Uh, first, I work in Delivery Hero and uh, as senior data scientist, actually. I actually have been working with data for about six years and uh, previously as consultant for a consulting company to analyze about the marketing strategy for some big names. And then I worked as marketing analyst and now working for our marketing tech department as data scientist. So basically provide some tech support for the marketing department to help them making better strategy and earning more revenue, of course. And as Johannes, as you said, I was previously learning mathematics and statistics as graduate degree. And back to then, I was in United States. And after that, I also worked in New York City for three years or four years, I forget. And then Delivery Hero offered me a position. And so I came here in Berlin and worked for the marketing tech department, assisting our marketing department. That's mainly my background. So I work very closely with the A-B test, with the offline channel measurement things. All of this topic is my daily responsibility. That's pretty amazing. How, what were your previous responsibilities, your previous jobs before you went into started at Deliver Hero? Previous, yeah, like I said, this consulting company. So basically, it's doing some very similar work with, with what I'm doing right now. It's like uh, some big name, they have their budget for different marketing channels, like TV, online, display, blah, blah, blah. And they want to know like how to optimize their budget and... Uh, if they spend their budget really drive some more revenues or more profit for them, yeah, pretty similar. I would say pretty similar with what I'm doing right now. This was just the before I worked for another company and now I worked for our marketing department. That makes sense. That sounds indeed very similar. So let's get right into it then. Tell me more about the typical campaigns or analysis that you do delivery. So what's your daily work like? The work is, I'm not sure if you know, Delivery Hero is actually a food delivery company. So we have food ordering platform and uh, we are kind of have a lot of media campaigns like proposing advertising on different channels like TV, like all of home, like subway station and or display, pay social, all of these channels. And we, all of these campaigns, we want to know like if we spend our money if we spend our money in right way, so we need to build the model or we conduct the A-B test to check this. That's my daily job. I can definitely tell you that your advertisement has reached me. I think it's hard to live in Berlin and not know about Delivery Hero. And in fact, you've been a neighbor 
in the past. So we now moved offices, but we used to be right across the street from Delivery Hero. So that's actually seeing the logo from the window of offices. So it's actually a good advertisement in, in itself, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we are also growing. That's great. I can imagine that, especially now with these times, would be a good time for Delivery Hero to expand business and to get food to people at home. Is that right? Yes. So you mentioned that you run very different campaigns, right? So you said TV campaigns, but also online campaigns. I know you, you're running campaigns also with us. So digital marketing campaigns in app. Well, how would you usually evaluate these? Do you, do you run a lot of A-B tests or are there other methods that you use? We used to run many A-B tests and I think we're still running a lot of A-B tests for evaluate the effect of this online platform because why we trust A-B test is A-B test is doing something in parallel. So make it like human readable language. It's like A-B test, you split the users into test group and control group. I believe most of people know this. And you will expose the advertising only to the test group. So everything's happened in the same time. So for example, if there's a holiday happened during your campaign, your control group user and your test group user are all have this holiday. And the only difference they have is one of test group user uh, will be exposed to your advertising and control group user is not exposed to your advertising. So basically this reduced the possible effect factor to the minimum. That's why I think our company trusts A-B test a lot. Um, that's why yeah, for this kind of online channel, we usually put a lot of A-B test but as A-B test, one of the, it's not called drawback, it's kind of high request, high standardized. It's like you need to check the user level data. You need to know like users, big chain, if the user got exposed and if the user finally downloaded your app or got converted. And then in this case, you can check if your advertising is really useful. So probably it needs some data engineer work because you need the, really need the user-level data. Some requests from A-B test, but like I said, from A-B test, because it's really reduced the external factors effects on your campaign measurement. So I think we trust it. Yeah, that's data engineering work that resonates a lot with what we, we see also, what I see now in, in my work, because we do know the targeting perspective, right? We as a DSP, we know who we targeted, but we need to get the information from the client on how these users that we identify by the device ID, how they react then if they convert and for how much revenue, for example. So this is all information that we need to then get externally. I guess that for you, the targeting part is what you don't, uh, what you need to get from us, for example, but then the uh, conversions this is something that you would have. This is exactly where we are running into an issue now with the uh, privacy developments and the iOS 14 that's going to be introduced finally, probably end of March is latest that I've heard, because then exactly that point breaks down, doesn't it? That we suddenly don't have the device ID anymore that we can rely on to identify the user's on the targeting side and on the conversion side. So we know that we targeted someone, but we don't know who that is. So they can't know if they converted or not. So this kind of a step setting will become at least much more difficult to do. What are your thoughts around that? Do you have any uh, insights on that or plans to deal with that? 
That's part. Uh, so basically, like I said, like uh, the user level data is very important for AB test. So yes, this iOS 14 problem really raised some big issues for us. And actually, I heard that even without the device ID, there's probably some other way to identify the device, for example, by using the so-called fingerprint. I'm not sure. It's like the system version, a language, a browser version, all of this, probably you can try to identify the unique device. The accuracy of it may be very low. So in this case, we need to find some replacement. What we are probably trying to do now is I want to connect it, connect this kind of the online test thing into with the offline test thing. Because besides the online channel, this kind of pay social display or YouTube, uh, you also have a lot of offline channels, which means TV, out of home, or even the Spotify advertising you're hearing. So that's kind of uh, Spotify. Yeah, that's kind of advertising. It's actually impossible to track the user level data. So Imagine that you post a poster in the subway station and some of your users are waiting for the subway and look the poster. They remember your website, they got converted, but you will never know where are they coming from. So this offline scenario is very similar with the online scenario without the device ID, I would say. So probably some model that we're using for the offline campaigns estimation can used on the online campaigns also. That's what we are currently trying to do, yes. That's really interesting because I feel that that point is lost in this discussion a little bit that we've heard around iOS 14. And I've heard a lot about fingerprinting and you hear a lot of the like MMPs trying to, to push that. But then on the other hand, it's unclear how well that would work and, uh, and how long that would work. Also connecting the IDs that we currently know, connecting these to the IDFVs and trying to fix that up. I think these are just ways to try to get attached to the old system and try to get the most out of it before it completely collapses. But I like your idea of just saying this is actually something that we've done in the past in other settings. We have these offline campaigns and we've evaluated them in the past as well. So why not use the same methods that we used over there, right? This is what you're, what you're saying. Why not use the same methods that we use for the offline setting also in the online setting, is that right? Yes, that's what I'm saying. The thing is like A-B test, you can consider it as a, you're running something parallel and uh, you test the different group. But now it's like if you, you test it simultaneously, it's impossible, then you can only choose the before and after estimation, which means like before the campaigns, you observe a trend and after the campaign, observe another trend and uh, you check what's different between them to estimate your campaign effects. Before we think somehow we only do it for the offline channel and now we can also do it for the online channel. That is really interesting, but I think we need to take it uh, slow there and explain it a little bit deeper also for our listeners. So could you explain again how exactly that would work? Maybe give an example of how we would analyze an offline campaign just to yeah, walk us through how that would work. Okay, so for the offline campaign, same as the online campaign or like same as the A-B test, you first need to decide one KPI you want to measure because in the business, we have a lot of KPIs. We have the app download, app install, or if you are a to customer business, you have this kind of order per day or acquisition like new users per day. 
all of them can be your KPI. So you need to first select one of them or you select all of them, it doesn't matter, but you need to create different models. And uh, suppose now we let are... Me, mm -hmm. Let me quickly interrupt you, interrupt you there, because there's an interesting point of field where the SK Ad Network, for example, that Apple is pushing now, might be lacking in that regard that you can't just pick any kind of event or run multiple events. So with what you're proposing, are there any restrictions on the types of events you can measure? Or does this method also work for events that are further down the funnel, like conversions, or does it only work for install events? In particular, because the SKAD network, just by default, if you don't define anything, it will only work on installs. And we've been getting a lot of feedback that this is not enough for most of our clients, that most companies would want and most marketers would want to know if uh, their marketing has an impact on conversions and on down funnel events, on revenue, where it really matters. I mean, for most of the business, install is just install. Install is free and it couldn't drive any revenue. I think most of the, probably not most of like 100% of business care more about revenue than only a install number. If, for example, like 1 million users install your app, but no one really plays an order, then your profit is zero. That's why I think most of the business care more about this kind of converts, uh, true convert is like uh, when the user really give you some money, that is the KPI they really care about. This type of KPI would be you're able to measure using these methods that, uh, that you're talking about that they're using? Yeah, I think you can use any KPI. Some of them probably is very complex. For example, your final customer lifetime value can also be your KPI. But the problem with this is how to estimates this kind of customer user uh, customer lifetime value is another very very big project and the result of it may also have very wide confidence level like you said this customer the value of five years is like 10 euro for example you don't know if that 10 euro is accurate or not and if you use that 10 euro as to build another model build another model based on this then you are going into a loop, loop of error, a loop of like wide confidence level that you can never hit a result that is accurate. So that's a problem of using this kind of very complex KPI. So usually the KPI install might be too shallow, to, might be, how to say, not enough. And this kind of customer lifetime value probably too deep. So you might need to choose something in between. That's easy to observe, no need further modeling, and also can drive you revenue or give you something that you really care about. Great. That's a pretty good answer also to be aware of where the limits are on how deep you can go in this kind of funnel. But at least we know we can do better than install. So it's great. I would pick something that's in the middle of my funnel. And once I've done that, how do I continue now with measuring this? With measuring this, like I said, remember that now, you don't have any user-level data. You can only have so-called aggregated-level data, which means, for example, Monday, you have one install. Tuesday, you have two install. And Sunday, you have seven install. And the next Monday, you will have another one install. So you have this kind of install per day. And uh, in data scientist field, we call it time series because all of this number have a timestamp on it, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or January 1st, the 2nd, 3rd, yeah, we call it time series. So 
The easiest way of evaluating this kind of the uplift by using the offline method is you don't even need this time series. What you need to do is, for example, you have a new campaign、uh, set up on February first. You observe the trend before the February first, and you can using even use your Excel to calculate the moving average of every day, like moving average seven days of your KPI. Let's say KPI is order. And you calculate it until when your campaigns end, and you just observe by your eyes whether you get some uplift or not. Or another very easy way is like you have the daily order. You before the campaign started, you can form a distribution of your daily order, and after your campaign started, you form another distribution of daily order, and you use the traditional A/B test way to test if their mean are significantly different. This is one way, but I don't. Unless your campaign is very, very successful, it's like suddenly it's drive one million you, uh, one million orders for you per day. Then you can obviously observe this kind of difference. Otherwise, you may need to like go into the model way. Like I said, by using the time series analysis, the simplest model you can build is you are not adding any other. Factors or any other features, you only forecast the time series by itself. So let's come back to this simple example. Like you have one order in Monday and seven orders in Sunday, and the next Monday you have one order again. So this kind of time series, we can observe a trend with no trend because it's basically every week is same. And seasonality, you can see a circle. Like from Monday to Sunday, there is a perfect circle. So this is the simplest model of time series. When you forecast the future, you can easily forecast like Monday one, Tuesday two, and Sunday seven. And if now you have your campaign on, and next Monday you got eight orders, then this obviously you have seven uplift. That is the main idea of the time series analysis, and this is kind of the baseline case. Cool. Let me see if I can get this straight. There was a lot of modeling going on in my on in my head, but the way I understand it is that we're trying to make a prediction. We're trying to get an intuition of what would happen if we wouldn't run the campaign at the time where we actually did run the campaign. So we're looking at that's what you said. We're looking at what the orders were, for example, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And looking at the trend over time, how that would increase, and then add this all together into similar like what an account manager would do, right? Or an AdOps manager would do, that they then tell you, okay, next Monday, what I'd expect would happen would be that we have a hundred orders, and then next Tuesday maybe it would be a hundred ten because on Tuesdays there's a little bit more, but on Wednesday when there's a slump, it might only be ninety orders. I'm making up numbers here, and then if I get it correctly, what we look at is the difference. And what's actually happening against this intuition? Did I describe that correctly? <laughs> I think you described this perfect. My idea is like you observe some endogenous property of your time series itself. You forecast the future. This we actually call is counterfactual forecasting. It's like if you don't have any campaign, what will happen in the future? And then now you have your campaign on. You have you can observe your actual order every day. And then you compare your actual with your forecast, and then you see a gap. Ideally, you can see a gap, and that gap will be your campaign effects. That's how the modeling way work, or say the offline measurement way works. 
you can see it's have time difference. It's have before and after. So yeah, it's not really same with A/B test anymore. I'm surprised by that because the way that you describe it, there's no actual control group. Right, the control group is our prediction that we make up just by the behavior of our numbers in the past, of our orders or our KPI in the past. So for the, this setting, for this method that you just described, we don't need any control group at all. We're just making up the control group as our expectation of what would have happened based on historical order numbers. The scenario I described, we call this like baseline case because we want to make the things simplest to create a baseline, and then we add some more complex thing decoration on it. So the control group you mentioned is one way to add more features to this model. Let me stop you before that. And do you have an example of where you had used this in the past? So is this baseline case still something that you use in in practice, sometimes to evaluate uh, effects, or do you always go with a more complicated setting? Data scientists' way of work is like you always go from the simple to complex. Because if some problem you can solve is by very very simple model, you don't really need to go very fancy model. You don't need to build this kind of neural network, and you put a lot of effort on it, and this can only drive, for example, five percent accuracy. Then probably you don't need that. That's why, yeah, we always build this kind of the baseline model first, and then if it's not accurate enough, we consider about some more complex things. Okay. Since you mentioned accurate enough, then how do you know if this is accurate enough? So we've had we've built this baseline model that uses only the time series information. How do you know if that works well enough? Let's have two perspectives. So first is like from data scientist perspective, you are using some historical data. You assume, like for example, now it's already February. I assume, like January, I I focus something for January and I compare it with the January actual. We see if this is accurate enough. Huh? How to say? It? It's like uh, you check the gap between your forecast and actual. Are they close enough? If they are close enough, for example, you calculate the MAP or some statistical thing. Like it's small enough. Like they are close enough. You think okay, it's accurate enough on the under current assumption. And if it's、uh, forecast very off, then of course you know that the trend, this trend, is not itself decide the future. Some external factor you need to consider about them. That's from data scientist view. From business view, like probably they think,、uh, for example, for a campaign, or for a campaign, if you evaluate, there is some effect, but very small. They will think it's useless. Then your model is already good enough. That's another topic. All right, that sounds similar to what we also do in our work. Now we're developing product for that, and this is something that we also arrived at in thinking, just confirming on past data, but we didn't actually run a campaign, so there's nothing to do with actually running a campaign. You're just checking whether your model actually gives you good intuition of what might happen next week. If there's, if we don't do anything, if we don't run a campaign, just this prediction evaluation performance. That's enough to see if the model is good enough. Okay, that's very reassuring to know, to know because that's also what we've been, yeah, <laughs> what we've arrived at now, and we're doing now to evaluate our new product in that area. Great. Thank you for clarifying that. So now,、uh, let's say we evaluated our baseline model that uses only this time series data, and we've seen that it's not actually giving us a good intuition of what will happen in the next week. So we've used it on. We're now in in February, so we used it on the January data, built the model, 
made a prediction for January, then then we've seen that it actually didn't tell us very well what happened uh, in January for the next weeks, like for third and fourth weeks in, in, in January. So how would you then improve the model? In this case, you will consider because uh, it's actually very likely you have this case because it's at the end you're doing like before and after this kind of forecast. And the time difference can really make a lot of difference. For example, suddenly some bad, bad news happened, some good news happened, like suddenly there is a big snowstorm. Everything can make your forecast failed. And in this case, probably you can consider about putting in the control group. But as I said, now the control group on user level is impossible. What we can try to do as a proxy is to use, instead of user level, you use geo level, for example, the city level. To make it more clear, for example, now we are having a very big TV campaign happened here in Berlin. And uh, from now on, the whole Berlin. But uh, at the same time, probably München or Hamburg, other big city in Germany, we don't have this kind of campaign. And uh, if before the campaign started, Berlin and that big campaign is similar enough, similar in terms of the trend in terms of user behavior, all of these things, if they are close enough, you can use Hamburg, for example, as a synthetic control group. It's not the true control, but it's something kind of comparable with Berlin. That's one way. Another way is like some model allow you to put all the cities in Germany in the model, and they will select a, a good control group for you uh, to create a really synthetic control group. And so based on those control group to forecast the future, to forecast the control factor effect, like what if in Berlin there isn't any TV campaign, what would be the order? And then you compare with the Berlin actual order to observe the gap and to conclude that this is actually the effects of your TV campaign here in Berlin. That is one way to do this. Nice. I can imagine that this gives you some fun results on the side. I would like to see what uh, kind of behavior we have in Berlin versus Hamburg and Munich, for example, because I feel like Munich and Berlin are very different, but Hamburg, Berlin, these party cities, I can imagine there's a lot of people like me sitting out there ordering food at 2 a.m. trying to <laughs> get rid of the hangover before it happens. This is purely an example. I never checked the, the trend in Berlin or Munich if they are similar, <laughs> to be honest. Did you ever see any surprising things there? So when you ran these, are there any uh, cities that seem to be very similar or very dissimilar in Germany or in other countries? Not really, actually, because what I mentioned is actually an example. And uh, in real world, it's not working this way. In real world, from my knowledge, Google have this kind of the geo-based regression analysis. So how it works is like, for example, in Germany, you have one million zip code and you can randomly clustering all of the zip code into two groups and to see if one group can forecast the other like uh, accurately. If so, one group you can put as test group and uh, another group you put as control group and use the control group to forecast your test group. So this is how real world works. It's not really like check city, city one by one is probably too much work, but using some coding, some automation to like automatic all of the cities together and then you can yeah put your campaign that's good information for the marketing marketing analysts and data scientists out there to not try and match the cities one by one because that is something that yeah might seem intuitive at first 
But this is also something that uh, we arrived at right now, and we have actually moved away from geos because we weren't sure whether to trust them or not, because we felt that in the mobile market, at least, people might be moving too quickly. So you target someone in one city on one zip code, and then they move to another zip code uh, where they actually order, but like they are at work and they're they going over their phone. So they see the ads while they're playing with their phone at work. But when they go home, then they open Delivery Hero and they actually order something for dinner. So that's at least what our thinking was. So what we are trying right now would be to do the same thing that you described to make a test and control group randomly, but do that on the device type. So on the what kind of phone a person has, whether that's an, an iPhone 10 or an iPhone 10 Plus. And there's quite a lot of uh, different iPhones that you could use. Although I don't think I've seen that a lot in blog posts and literature. Have you ever seen something like this? Or do, have you all also seen these examples where they use geolocation zip codes and always base this on the location of people? I think currently, this kind of framework mainly used for the offline measurement still because the iOS 14 is uh, something new. So for the offline, I think the thing you mentioned is not that significant because, for example, the TV, well, you can only watch TV when you are in home and out of home poster, well, in subway station, well, yeah. So the people are not really jumping from one city to another city that's frequently every day. So for offline, I think it works. For online, that's a good question. Probably this is something you need to solve. And I think device is pretty pretty smart solution. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that we've been yeah, we've been working on that quite a bit or still in the process of uh, refining that currently testing that on uh, on some clients. But we are definitely hoping that this will work nicely. <laughs> Hopefully. Interesting. When you build this kind of model, so going back to what we talked about, this model, we have the time series and now we're adding this control uh, group into that as well. Just making sure but you will keep both components. Is that right? Or would you then, is there also the opportunity to just, or the possibility to just go with the control group and just don't include that time series component anymore? That's also two way. One way is you just ignore the time series components. Like I said, the geo-based regression, I'm pretty sure probably is doing this. It's only use the control group to focus your test group. It's not including all of these time series components. We call this, for example, trend seasonality. Another way is because most of the time series model allowed you to put external regressor. So besides the trend seasonality, you can also put some regressors, for example, the holidays, for example, other control groups in your model. And it will use all of these components together to forecast the future. So it's kind of depend on what the model are you choosing here. You can choose not including this time series components or you can continue using it. That's very flexible. Okay, I see. That's a uh, flexibility. It's usually a good thing. Right? Or a bad thing. You need to test a lot of things and you choose the best. Sometimes it's hard to choose the best, you know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I would know that, yeah, that is also a good point to make. So maybe the last question, are you actually happy now with this iOS development? Because uh, it would mean that in the future, if we can't run A-B tests, you'll actually run the same checks on offline data and on online data? That's a good question, but I think pay more and more attention on this kind of the user privacy will be the future trend. 
So this is something we can hardly avoid. And I mean, use the offline measurement framework as the proxy to solve this problem. I think it's only probably the current solution in the future. Probably we can develop some other solution for this online channel uh, with device ID behinding, but actually you have some user level data, but probably you will have another way to approach it. Who knows? Okay, you so you're also thinking in this direction that maybe we'll get uh, some solution provided by I think the Google Google has some proposal for this where we get anonymized kind of data but on an aggregate level. Probably. And also I think Apple provide some solution by themselves. Yeah, exactly. We get the SKAD network. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Yeah, this is something that we are also now integrated with, but that is not our preferred solution because this moves again away from incrementality and uh, measuring the causal effect. What they will give you is the number of installs you get. But I can imagine that if you run a TV campaign and everybody watches that at home, people will then get on their phone, see an ad, in the meantime, click that and you will just attribute the whole effect of the TV campaign to the couple of ads that people have seen while they were in the process of buying something anyway or converting anyway. So personally, I'm not a big fan uh, of that, but it is definitely, uh, I think, the solution that Apple wants us uh, wants us to use. But we'll see how that turns out uh, in the future. I think adoption rates are increasing quickly and I think major DSPs also are integrating with that and the attribution partners also integrating with that. So we'll see who wins that battle and if we are getting closer to incrementality measurement in the future or whether SCAD network will be the first solution that people that people come or if fingerprinting will survive beyond the first couple of uh, weeks. That has been super interesting. Yeah. Fingerprinting, I read some article that accuracy is around 75%, 85%. I'm not sure. I read it from a Chinese article. In China, I was originally from China, and uh, the IT industry there is very developed. So I'm not sure if this number is like uh, same with here. Uh, probably in the future we can improve this number and uh, yeah, develop a new way only for, especially for the online uh, measurement. I guess we'll we'll see in the upcoming months once this this rolls out and also if these numbers hold up. Our expectation is is much uh, much lower than that after the initial time when people like, user information starts getting sparser and sparser and the information the user graphs that companies have created start losing their informative power. But it's definitely a very exciting time to be <laughs> to be in this field and be a data scientist trying to measure online campaigns. I really love what we talked about today to see that you're also following this mindset of saying we have uh, used this, these methods, we have some methods available to evaluate offline campaigns, and there is actually a chance to post these to the online setting because I think people haven't in the past acknowledged this uh, privilege that we've had to be able to run A-B tests and evaluating in the digital context, evaluating our campaigns really nicely if we so want to. And we're just now slowly starting to lose that privilege and go back to the way that it's been for other marketing channels forever or for a long time. So I appreciate you giving us these insights on how to actually do that and how to work with these offline campaigns and how this would, might look in, in the online setting. So I'm really, really glad that you had the time to be here. And I'm glad about all the insights that you shared. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we end? Just the advertising that uh, Delire Hero is now hiring data scientists, both on machine learning or this kind of marketing channel measurement. If you 
interested in the positions here, yeah, just check our website to get more information. Great. Is that in Berlin or is that worldwide? It's actually worldwide, but the headquarters is in Berlin. So if you are interested in working in Berlin, in Germany, welcome. Great. Then again, for all our listeners, our guest today was Yuan a senior data scientist at Delivery Hero. Yuan, thank you so much for sharing all these super interesting thoughts on getting, giving us this quite detailed perspective on, on how you actually build this kind of models. I can imagine there are thousands of data scientists out there who are really glad of getting some hints on how to do this and how to do this uh, the right way. Thank you again very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.